Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Awesome to be able to gather and remind ourselves we serve a God who's for us. And, um, and what we're going to do today is we're going to take communion together. We're going to come to the Lord's table. If you will, grab the cup that you got on the way in. If you don't have one, raise your hand. A team member would love to, to bring you one. And just coming off of this song and just reminding ourselves that God is for us. Um, the Apostle Paul has some commentary on this moment when we stop and we reflect on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, he leaves us two ways to do that. He leaves us baptism, water baptism, where we celebrate death to an old self and being resurrected to a new life in Christ. And we also, he also leaves us with this moment uh, at the Lord's table where we celebrate, he was celebrating Passover with his, his friends and his followers, but he was also instituting something new. And so 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, he says this, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. It's this, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And those two words to me always stick out when Jesus, he breaks bread and he looks at his friends, his closest friends, his disciples, his followers, and he says, hey, this is for you. And not only for them, but it's for me and you. If we're in Christ, he's saying, listen, my body is, is broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I love that, that we have an opportunity to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul, he goes on, he says in that same passage, hey, give this moment its worth. Attach some worth to this moment. Don't just go through the motions. Uh, don't be flippant about it. Just really download and remember what Christ has done for you as a follower of Jesus. And so if you will take the cup, you could peel the top part right there and then there's a wafer. Uh, there's a little bread in the top. And so let's take the bread and remember the body that was broken for us. And in the same way we take the cup and we remember that we're in a new covenant. It's not about our ability to work our way in the right relationship with God, but it's what Jesus did on our behalf. And so let's take and remember the blood that was shed. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you're for us and that you want more for us than we want for ourselves. God, not only a future hope and a future eternity, heaven, but also you want us to experience an abundant life now. And you came that we would have life and have it to the full. And so help us as we reflect on your faithfulness, help us as we reflect on your life and your death and your resurrection. God, that you created a moment where we could come to the table and remind ourselves that you're for us. That you would shift our heads, shift our perspective. Holy Spirit, I pray you give us over to courage and conviction to leave some things behind, to step into more, to step into more of Christ. God, help us to become more like you so that we can love you faithfully, love one another, serve each other. And God, give us over to the expectation, just this hope that should mark our lives and every interaction that we have. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said 
Amen and amen. You guys greet somebody around you. It's hard with the communion cups, right? It's like, what do I do? Do I go in for the hug? Do I high five somebody? I don't want to get juice on them. It's a little awkward. Um, hey, before we jump into the series, because we're landing the plane on our series called Good News, and every single week uh, in this series has been really cool to see God move. Um, just over the past, really since last service, over the course of this series, man, we've seen 63 people uh, respond to the message, give their lives to Jesus. Y'all can clap for salvation. If y'all don't clap for nothing else I say today, um, it's really cool to see God move in people's lives. But before we get into the message, uh, just a couple things. One, next weekend, uh, we're, we're, we're going to have child dedication services. And so just a, an element of services where we come together. Families are going to be up here on the platform. We're going to be praying for you. If you have a, a new little one, if you've got baby, toddler, someone that you want to dedicate. Uh, and really, the, it's a biblical precedent we see even in the life of Jesus where families come and they dedicate the children to the Lord, which is just to say, hey, we want to raise our kid in the house of God. You as a church family, would you guys stand in the gap and pray for us? Um, and, and would you help us? And, uh, and really, more than anything else, we as a church want to create some kind of covering for these families. And so we do things like uh, we, give, we give all the families this, this Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we love at our house. It's really on my level. I love Jesus Storybook Bible. It hits different. So if you haven't read it already, it's like every story in Old Testament, New Testament, it's all about Jesus. And, uh, and then we also give them a book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, just some resources just to say, hey, we're with you and we're for you. But also, um, here's, here's some, we're going to be praying for you. And then if you need anything as a family, just like reach out and let us, let us help um, just steward this little kid. So child dedication is happening next weekend. You can register online for that. And um, the week after that, we're actually having Baptism Sunday. So uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, we did Baptism Sunday. You're like, dang, they do baptisms a lot. Baptism Sunday, uh, we had 17 people uh, profess faith, really just like just saying, hey, here's who I am in Christ and just this public declaration of what God has done already inside of them. And so people jumping in the holy hot tub, getting baptized by dad or mom or group leader or a friend, a fellow follower of Christ. And so it's really cool to see God move in people's uh, hearts. We've had 68 people over the past year go public with their faith, and we're excited because all this life change in this series, I, I just want to challenge you, if you haven't gone public with your faith, you've responded, you've trusted Jesus, surrendered your life to him, but you haven't gone public with your faith, even if you're like, listen, I've been doing this for a while, a couple decades even, um, and so I'm good, like I, I believe in Jesus, but you've never really publicly put that out there. That's what baptism is for. And um, and so even if you grew up in a tradition that didn't practice water baptism, what we see in the New Testament is just this biblical precedent of, and it starts with Jesus, but every New Testament believer, after they trust Christ, they're baptized in water. We want to challenge you and encourage you, really, to take that next step and, and just being bold in your faith. Um, my wife, that's her story. She grew up in the, the Methodist church and so uh, did infant baptism, did, um, what is the, what's the term that confirmation yeah you did confirmation did all that kind of stuff and loved it and it was super meaningful and it was awesome for the family to experience all of that but just decided even as an adult we had kids and she was like I just want to I've never done water baptism as a believer and I, I want to do I want to do water baptism and just go public with my faith and so just want to challenge you if you haven't taken that next step that might be for you you can go to the website and register for that all right we're in a series good news we're landing the plane today 
Every single week, we're talking a different angle on good news. And basically, we're taking bad news headlines or words that when we hear those words, it just kind of, it just, it's not good news. It's bad news. Things like condemnation. Week one, we talked about condemnation. And we said, hey, the good news angle on that is there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. We've talked about fear. We've talked about failure. We talked about suffering, being in a pit. We talked about death last week. And, and that was real hard. That was real heavy last week if you were here. But there's good news for death. And a little bit lighter this week, we're talking about judgment, okay? So, um, so, so we're going to hit judgment this week. And um, one of the pushbacks from people who are not followers of Jesus uh, to being part of the local church is that Christians are judgy. Christians are judgy. And Christians are judgy because Christians are humans. And so in general, as humans, we tend to judge one another. And it's not whether or not you are judging the people around you. It's just how you're doing it and if you're doing it poorly and really what your heart and your motivation is as you do it. And so um, here's some of the things that we do when we judge others. We judge based on our suspicion rather than facts. So uh, someone sends you a text, right, and, and the, uh, the punctuation is a little different in this text than it has been in the past. It's like, what happened to my exclamation points? All I got is a period or nothing at all. It's like, you know, so you're starting to, and, you, and all of a sudden you're starting to assume things, right, uh, poorly sometimes about people's heart or motivation, about the way that they communicate. Thing, a lot of things get lost in translation when it comes to text and emails and things like that. But we judge based on our suspicion rather than facts. Another, another example is we judge people without the authority to do so. So sometimes, like, there's relationships in your life where you invite people into judgment. So, like, there's mentors that I have. I'm like, judge me, please. Judge a brother. Like, tell me where I need to, uh, some correction and some critique and to, to be able to get better. If you play for a ball team, you have a coach. That's their job is literally to judge you. If, you. if you're in school, you have teachers. That's literally their job. And if you're, if you're an employer, that's your job. But there's a lot, for the vast majority of us, we're just judging people that we don't have. We lack authority, and we judge them in that way. We judge people based on their outward appearances. We judge people based on hearsay or gossip. Ooh, my goodness. Like, let's go. Like, that's all. <laughs> I will preach that message series. Uh, we judge others using ourselves as the standard. So instead of using what, what, what we know is true in Scripture, like, all of a sudden I'm judging you based on my personal preferences or things that are a little bit more subjective. I'm, based, I'm, I'm judging you through the lens of Michael. Like, and so that's just, I'm a, I'm a terrible God. So uh, it shouldn't be about my standard, but what does the Bible say? So why do we judge rashly? We judge poorly because we're selfish and we're prideful. And that's really, that's really why we just want to look better than other people. So if you're someone who has kids, uh, there's seasons of life, like before you have kids, and, and you remember parents, you remember what it was like before you had kids, how you judged people who had kids? You remember that? Like, in, in the airplane, the airplane rides the best. Like, before kids, you're just like, the baby's crying, and you're just like, what's wrong with them? Get it together. Like, get that child together. And then you have a baby on a plane. Oh, it's different. Like, there's a level of empathy there. And, and so all of a sudden, it's like, oh, dear Jesus. So now, if you have a kid, you ever been on a plane with a kid, if the baby starts crying on the plane, you're just interceding for that mom or that dad. You're just like, Lord Jesus, keep them. You know, like, you're just like praying for them because you've been there. But prior to that moment, you used to judge them, right? And, and even people who, like, you know, some people have, like, one kid and they, or two kids, and they'll judge people who have, like, us. We have, like, 27 kids or whatever at our house. I, I lost track. But, like, they'll judge larger families, you know. And then people who have a lot of kids would judge people who have one kid, right? And so we, we just judge people who are poor, judge people who are rich, 
like, man, the world, I can't believe those people have all those resources, all that money. Like, we could do more with that. We need to share the resources. People who are rich judge people who are poor. They need to get it together. They need to get a job. They need to get whatever. And the middle class, those of us who are middle class, we judge both poor people and rich people. So we're riding behind somebody who's got a really killer car. And we're, like, judging them for the car they're driving. Meanwhile, we want that car. You know what I'm saying? Like, low-key, low we're like, I really wish I had that car. And then you pull off the interstate, you're on the exit ramp, and you're judging someone who's panhandling. You know, like, you're just judgy in general. We judge people based on uh, people who just hold kind of a different context. So whether it's ethnicity or whether it's gender, men and women, or whether it's just economy, whatever the case may be, those different lived experiences will judge people. Old people think young people are lazy. Right? This generation. This generation is the laziest generation. Young people think old people do things in an antiquated way. Like, bro, learn how to use your phone. Just Google that junk. Like, it takes two seconds or whatever. Or, uh, or that they're slow or whatever. Like, we all judge each other. Um, and so that's what we're talking about today. In this series, Good News, we've taken these words, these bad news headlines of condemnation and fear and failure and death and suffering and Today we're going to talk about judgment, and we go, okay, what's the good news angle on judgment? So what was once bad news, now because of Jesus, it becomes a footnote in his good news story. And so the Bible tells us that God is our judge, not the person sitting next to you, not the person at school, not the person in the boardroom, not the family member who's pretty self-righteous, not, you, not even your spouse, okay? Turn to the person sitting next to you and say, you're not my judge, you can't judge me. Tell him, say, you can't judge me. Now turn back to him and say, that's okay, God will. Tell him, say, that's okay, God will. Yeah. This is Hebrews 9. We're going to kick off this good news message today. Hebrews 9, 27, it says this. It says, it is appointed for men to die once. Then after this, the judgment. That's good news. Let's close in prayer, okay? Like that's that's so depressing. Like if all you did was read that passage, it's like Hebrews authors like, you will die. And then you will be judged, okay? And so um, it doesn't exactly sound like good news. And especially if we're honest with ourselves about how we should be judged. And so, but it reminds me, it's like the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, keep acting a fool, keep sinning, keep doing the things, keep being selfish, and just wait because the Father will deal with it later. It, it reminds me of when I was growing up. And uh, I would, you know, like I would act up at, at home. My mom was home with me. My dad was at work, and I would, uh, I would disrespect my mom, or I would lie to her, or I would break something, or I would do something that that that, that was designed for discipline. You know what I'm saying? And and my mom would always say, she would say, "Okay, cool, just wait till your daddy gets home." And I was like, "Dang it, bro!" Like you know, it, it hits. It it's just like oh, because then you got to th- sit around and think about it all day. So not only am I going to get, my parents spanked me. Did anybody get spanked back in the day? Where's that generation you got spanked? Okay, cool. I don't know if it's cool anymore or what or, you know, whatever. But, like, I had corporal punishment was a thing at our house. My sister, uh, my, my younger sister, she got spanked one time, one time. And, and then my parents apologized. They were like, you really, didn't, you really didn't deserve to get spanked that one time. I, your boy got corporal punishment on a regular basis, okay? Like, I was, I was that kid that just, like, these are not real rules. These are more suggestions. Let me just figure out how I can push the boundaries. And so, and I deserved every bit. Of it. I'm going to go on record. I'm going to look in the camera. I deserved every bit of it and probably more, okay? So, but, um, but it's that moment where, hey, um, your daddy's going to come home and he's going to deal with it. 
And, and judgment is that moment was like, the Bible tells us Hebrews 9, hey, there's going to come a time where we have to account for, we are judged by what we do this side of eternity. And hey, you're going to have to look face to face at the Father and he's going to deal with some things. And so you might be new to church or new to the Bible. It's your first time at Soma and you're like, I thought this was a good news series. I thought we were going to talk about grace, being saved by grace. Uh, I remember week one, we talked about, hey, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, right? And that's, a, that's good news. Um, and so, yes, as someone who repents, somebody who changed their mind about Jesus and makes him Savior and Lord, you are saved. You are saved. Uh, and there is no condemnation for your life, but also you're saved by grace, but the Bible tells us you're judged by works. And so... My eternity is because of what Christ has done for me, but also still have to be accountable according to the Bible of what I've done with my life. So being saved by grace and being judged by works, it, it's hard for us. We don't like that tension. We don't like holding that paradox of, okay, my, my salvation and my future hope is in Jesus, but also I'm still going to be held accountable for how I live my life. And Jesus comes, the Bible tells us Jesus comes both in the fullness of truth and grace. It's not one or the other. And, and so basically, if I've experienced salvation, so if I've changed my mind about who Jesus is, it should be reflected in the way that I live my life. And I should bear fruit, and there ought to be a works attached to that. You're not saved by works, but you are saved for works is what the Bible tells us. And so saved by grace and judged by works, and it's this paradox that we struggle with. But that's not the only paradox in Scripture. There's other ones. So, for example, we serve a God who is three in one. Jesus is fully God and fully man. These are paradoxes that we're like, yeah, sure, of course. But when it comes to this, we're like, hold on now, hold on. And so we have a tendency to push too far in one direction. Some people who are grace people and only grace people, things get a little fluffy over here. Things are like rainbows and unicorns and everything is love and everything is like. And then there's other people who are only, hey, nah, works people, right? But I am saved for works. And you can be a little pharisaical. You can be a little rules-oriented. You can be a little judgmental, right? We can live over there. And the reality is, is that... We are saved by grace, but we are saved for works, is what the Bible teaches us. And so, what does that look like? That's what we want to unpack today. Um, grace has come to mean something in broader culture that it doesn't look like in Scripture, too. So, grace outside of the Bible has become a little, a little fluffy, and so uh, we, we'll use it today, we'll use, it, we'll use grace, the grace card, as an excuse to do something stupid, to sin in some way, right, um, some bad behavior, and be like, grace will cover that. And so, but the Apostle Paul, he warns against this in Scripture. And Paul's like, no, that's not the way that works. Time out. You don't use it as a way to just act like an idiot. Like you, so it, it covers, yes, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And yet, if you really have changed your mind about who Jesus is, you should want what Jesus wants for your life and begin to move in that direction. And it's not that you're going to look like Jesus the day after you experience salvation. You're not. Uh, and and you, you'll never arrive. You're never going to experience perfection. Sanctification takes a life, it's a lifelong process. And yet, it changes my heart, and I begin to desire the things of God. And so, um, so love isn't tolerance. That is, a, that is a terrible definition of love. And grace isn't cheap. It's so much better than that. Grace is expensive. Grace is powerful. Grace is courageous. Grace is sacrificial. And so to be thinking about that as we think about grace, it's amazing. Where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. You're saved by grace, but you're saved for works. 
And the Bible says that since we were saved for works, then we are going to be judged by our works, right? Uh, I love what Dallas Willard has to say about it. Dallas says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You can't earn your salvation. And yet, it's so great because Paul talks about working out our salvation. Hey, I've experienced Christ. I've trusted him. I've changed my mind on who Jesus is. Now I'm not going to do anything to invest in my relationship with Jesus. I'm never going to crack a Bible. I'm never going to pray. I'm not going to listen to worship music. I'm going to listen to all the other garbage, download that, let it just eat away at my soul, and then expect to be salt and light to people, expect to be good news to people. Even though I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, I'm not going to put any effort in to my own spiritual formation to what God desires to do in and through me. And so um, you can't earn your way to salvation, but you can and should work it out. You can. And so and let me say one more thing on God's judgment before I unpack exactly where it shows up in Scripture. Judgment isn't just about punishing evil, but it's about putting the world right again. Judgment is really ultimately it's about redemption. We serve a God who loves us, who desires to restore everything that's been broken. And he's righteous and he's holy and he's going to deal with everything that runs counter to the nature of who he is. And so it's all about a redemptive framework. It's all about I can either join God in the renewal of all things or I can be collateral damage as he does that. But it's my choice. And I get a decision on whether or not I choose to change my mind about who Jesus is and join God in the renewal of all things, join God in, in, in making right everything that's been made wrong. Or I can be in the way and be some collateral damage. God judges not with a sense of justice like we think, just to focus on punishing people who do wrong. Because that's generally, when I'm thinking about punishment and when I'm thinking about judgment, I'm thinking about just they did wrong, they need to be punished, they, they're judged, right? And that's not what he's thinking. He's thinking, no, it's, it's a desire to make all things right. And so um, I've got three angles for us today on judgment. And... Uh, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. This is, again, this is scripture, and I'll unpack it, but all of us will face judgment, each and every one of us. Every person you've ever met, people in this room, people outside this room, and people are like, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter. You'll still face judgment, okay? So it's like, so this is, the, this is Ecclesiastes 12, uh, 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, everything you've ever done into judgment, including, uh-oh, Every hidden thing, snap. Okay, so like even secret things, things done in the dark, Bible tells us will be brought into the light. And so uh, God knows your motivation, knows your heart, knows the secret things, whether it's good or evil. He said, it says, hey, God will bring every deed into judgment. Good news is it's not just evil things. He's going to judge good things as well. And then you read in Revelation 20, 13, it says the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what? According to what they had done. And if you're not careful, you read passages of Scripture like people are so confused. They're like, are we saved by grace? Or what, what is the deal? Like what is the deal with like being judged by what we've done? I'm going to talk about that um, here in a minute. First Peter 1 Peter 1.17, it says this. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And I love this passage because it's a reminder that God judges impartially. The Bible also tells us that God is a respecter of no persons. 
He don't care who your daddy is. He don't care how much money you got. He don't care how many followers on social. He don't give a rip about any of that kind of stuff. That we, and so even though you and I judge partially because we do, even in our political system, even in our court system, as much as we want to judge impartially, we still judge partially. And so you know, as, you know as well as I do, certain people, just because of who they are sometimes, and it's a chemistry thing or a personality thing or an influence thing or an economy thing or whatever the case may be, but there's partiality attached to judgment this side of eternity. And the good news is, is that the Bible says, hey, you step into eternity, we're all on equal footing. He don't care what your 401k is. He don't care where you work. He don't care who you are. He don't care the color of your skin. He don't care none of that kind of stuff. It's all about who, standing before him fully exposed, and then he, he judges us according to our works. And then this is Jesus. He says this in Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man, Jesus always refers to himself as the Son of Man. And I love it. This is a side note. This is the Holy Spirit. I didn't have anything. This is not in the thing. I love it uh, because it's just a baller movie. Anytime you refer to yourself in the third person, uh, it's just really cool. So he's like, the Son of Man is going to come into his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Revelation 22, 12, same scene. Is, is uh, John, he paints this picture for us. This is the last chapter of your Bible. And he says this about Jesus. Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. And so there's that tension again, like, hey, I thought we were saved by grace. I keep hearing that I'm going to be judged based on what I've done. What does that look like biblically? So every person that you and I know is going to be judged, not by each other, not by culture, not by government or by a man-made set of laws or practices, not by the political climate or the day or the societal norms. All people will be judged by God. How? According to your works. According to your works. According to what you do. So where we spend eternity is based on... Have we changed our mind? Have we repented and changed our mind about who Jesus says he is? So, so it, where I spend eternity is based on what I believe. And then the nature, like how I'm rewarded and what that looks like is based on how I lived. Is it the works, like what does the fruit look like in my life? And so how we spend eternity is what we see biblically are the works. Saved by grace, but judged by works. Why is this the case? Because what you believe is fleshed out in the way that you live. If you hold a conviction in some area of your life, people are going to know it by the way that you live. They just will. If you believe strongly about certain things, you will make decisions around those things. This is what James refers to uh, when he's writing his letter. James says, hey, you will see people bear fruit. Here's how you're going to know for people who have really trusted their life to Christ, people who really have repented and changed their mind about who Jesus is, they will bear fruit. And, and so he says you can judge a tree based on its fruit. Right? It, that's how you know whether or not the tree is healthy. That's how you know whether or not it's healthy is the fruit that it bears. And so uh, what, what do works look like for us we all face a judgment, and there's two judgments according to Scripture. So not just one judgment. You're going to be judged twice. It's good news. Good news message today. So Revelation 20, 11 through 13, John, he paints this picture for us. He's in exile in Patmos, and God gives him this revelation, thus the name of the book, Revelation. God gives him an, a vision of what it's like to step into eternity, and he begins to write, hey, here's what Jesus has shown me about our future together as a church. He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. 
And the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. Again, God's a respecter of no persons. Everybody's lined up, don't matter who you are. Not very influential, lacking, poor, no, whatever. And then, you know, books written about you, right? Everybody in between. And so uh, I saw people, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books, plural, the books were opened. And so uh, he, he keeps going on. Another book was opened. So there was these books, this account of all these people's lives. But there's also another book. What book is that? Which is the book of life. It's the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. And so in Revelation 20, it tells us about a couple different judgments. It says there's going to be books, hold account of every work that you've ever done in your life, good and bad. And there's also the book of life. There's another book. You want your name in the book of life. And, and this moment where we experience uh, God opening up the book of life is called the great white throne judgment. And it's called that because John says, I saw a great white throne, right? And so that's where we get that name. But we'll be judged um, in this moment based on whether or not we have changed our mind about who Jesus is. So uh, the books are open and everyone has a written record of our works, what we've done with what we've been given. We'll be judged by what we did with good news, our time, our talents, our treasure. How do we steward people and relationships, resources? How do we steward the good news? Did you share the good news? And then, and then the books are going to account for that. And, but the book, it, it also, in the great white throne judgment, really what it's referring to when it says the book of life, this is this moment where you and I, we stand in front of God, and he opens up the book of life, and he says, either your name is in the book of life or your name is not in the book of life. And this is the book that um, everybody's name who has trusted Jesus, so you, again, you have repented. You have changed your mind about who Jesus is. It's just faith. It's not coming to church. It's not praying more. It's not worship. It's not, uh, okay, I got to go on a missions trip. It's not, all right, I got to be, I got to go, I got to pull over on the side of the road up this person. I've got to do more good things than I do bad things. I got to outweigh. It's none of that. It's have I changed my mind about who Jesus is? That's it. Have I believe, do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Have I trusted him with my life? Have I repented? And then if I have, then my name is in the book of life. And then I step into an eternal relationship with God. Verse 15 of that same passage tells us what happens if your name is not in the book of life. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so you and I want our name in that book. And the thought we stress out, like, what does it look like? It looks like this, changing your mind about who Jesus is. That's it. You don't have to be perfect. You're not going to be. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to have it all together. You don't trust your life to Jesus and you look like Jesus the next day. That does not happen, let me tell you, okay? Uh, salvation happens in a moment. It's when you finally realize who Jesus is. Sanctification happens all along, like all lifelong, okay, uh, until he comes back. And so uh, do, do I trust him? Do I believe that he is who he says he is? Change my mind about him. And when I do, I get into this book of life. And then for, for those of us who have trusted Christ with our lives, there's a, there's a second judgment. So there's the judgment, there's the great white throne judgment, which is, hey, you're in, woo, I'm in. 
hey, let's go. I'm in. I don't care what cul-de-sac I'm on. You know what I mean? Don't care what my house looks like. Okay, don't care what, what toys I have in heaven. Don't care none of that kind of stuff. I'm in. I'm in. And then after that moment, then we, everybody stands in front of Christ. We stand in front of the judgment seat of Jesus. You've never been more exposed in your life than you are in the judgment seat of Christ. Everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever said, again, things in public, things in private, things that are hidden, your thought life, everything is on display, full exposure for Jesus in that moment. And here's what the Bible tells us about this, this judgment seat of Christ. This is 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul's talking to the early church in Corinth. And each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul says, hey, you're all, like everybody is going to stand in front of Jesus. Everybody's going to stand on the judgment seat. Whether it's good or bad, we get to be held accountable for it, the judgment seat of Christ. The Greek term is called the bema. And the bema was a platform in ancient Greece. And what, like for the Olympics, for example, uh, runners would run their race, and then someone, an official, would come to the bema, to the platform. And then the the, based on your performance, they would reward you based on your performance. And so the official would stand at the bema and award prizes depending on how you ran your race. And the same thing is true for me and you. We're examined and rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ based on how we ran our race. And, and uh, it's, a, it's not a judgment for your salvation. You've already accepted Christ. You're already in eternity. Now it's, it's, it's based on what did you do with what you were given now it's based on you're judged by your works. And so the question is, will, be my, will my sins be remembered at this moment? Right? If, if, if we're being honest, that, that one stresses us out a little bit. Am I going to be put on blast for everybody to see? You know what I mean? All the things that I've ever done, all the things, all the brokenness in my life, is that getting ready to, you know, are we going to just play a reel in front of everybody? You're like, here's how messed up this guy is. And so uh, this is the way the Apostle Paul puts it in his letter to the church in Corinth. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3, he says, By the grace that God's given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already been laid, which is Jesus. And so Paul's talking about, and when he's, when he's referencing this foundation, Paul says, hey, listen, here's where my faith and my trust is, Jesus. And everything out of that, any work out of that is only coming out of it because of a faith and a trust. I have changed my mind about who Jesus is. Paul changed his mind about who Jesus is. Like, no, if, if anybody ever changed their mind, it was that brother. If he went from killing people over the name of Jesus, people who were following the way of Jesus, to a guy who literally changed his mind, repented, gave his life to Christ, was willing to go all in for the sake of the good news of Jesus. And he says, I'm building on this foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation, and he says this, using gold, silver, costly stones. So he gives us three different elements. He gives us three things that are tested by fire. These things will hold up in fire. But then he goes on, he says, or wood, hay, and straw. And then he gives us three other elements that don't hold up in the flames. They don't hold up by fire. Their work will be shown for what it is. You could take that foundation, Paul says, and there's going to be some things that you lay, there's some works that you lay on that foundation that will last. There's some works that lay on that foundation that are eternal. There's some works that lay on that foundation that are things of God. These are things like the gold that he references and the silver and the costly stones. He says there's going to be some things, though, 
There's going to be some works in your life, even if you're in Christ and he's your foundation, that are things of wood or hay or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. For what has been built survives. The builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. And you're like, what are we even talking about? Here's, here, I'm, I'm painting a picture for you. So think of it this way. God has a file on every single one of us. He has a file for all of us. This is what we see in Revelation 20. Everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, thoughts that were recorded, and you're graded based on what you did with what you were given. I'm going to give you some, ex- I'm gonna give you some examples of what that would look like. We're, we're judged according to our work. God opens up the test result, and he takes all of the imperfect decisions, all of, all of the less than motivations, all the failures and the misses and the brokenness and the sin, and he puts that in a pile. Hey, you made an F here. You totally missed the mark here, Right? Some of this activity was good, but some of it, if we're being honest, your motivations in your heart were off, and that's a C. We're just going to take the parts of it that were not good, and we're going to put it in this pile. And, and even things like you and I think sometimes that we're doing things in the name of Jesus, that we're performing works, and we're doing things uh, that are good things, but our heart and our motivation isn't to help others or to serve God, it's to be seen doing it. And even that goes in this pile. But then there's other things that if, if we've trusted Christ with our life, he says, you know what? That moment, that looked like love. That, that goes over here. That moment, man, that was patient. Hey, you know what? That was so kind. That was so faithful. That, was, that looked like my goodness. That looked like the joy that comes from me. And he begins to separate everything works that we've done in the name of Jesus, everything this side of eternity that we've done that just makes an eternal impact in other people and he puts it over here. Anything that doesn't last, anything wood, anything hay, anything straw, he puts it over here. It's like, that's just not gonna, that's not gonna last. And then he goes to the book of life and behind your name in the book of life. And again, this is just a metaphor. Behind, behind your name in the, in the book of life, there's a, there's a little matchstick that matchstick is made from the cross of Christ and he grabs that matchstick and he lights it and he burns this pile. So everything, every, every sin in your life, every piece of brokenness, every, every, every time you chose yourself or um, you chose what was wrong rather than what God wanted for you, he just burns it. He says, that doesn't pass the test. This passes the test. And then Jesus stands there on the beam of seat. He's standing there right there, the judgment seat of Christ. You're fully exposed. Everything, everything you've ever done. And he says, you know what? That's no more. And then he takes what you've done with what you've been given. And he says, hey, here's your reward. So the good news is that if you give your life to Jesus at the judgment, you're rewarded for your good works. You're not punished for your bad works. You're only rewarded for your good works. If you don't give your life to Jesus at the judgment seat, we're gonna be punished for the things that we've done, the decisions that we've made. 
we're going to be punished accordingly. You get to pay twice. Jesus has already paid for all of that, but you get to pay twice. You decide, you know what, I'd rather pay for my own sins, for my own works. So not only do we get the grace that God offers us to, to experience eternity with him, but the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes, Jesus says it in Revelation 22, I'm coming back, and when I come, I'm bringing my reward. How insane is it that you and I, I know who I am. I want you to real quick just stop and think about who you are. I know who I am. And yet I get to stand in front of Jesus one day because I trusted him, because I believe that he is who he is. He's gonna look at me and he's saying, hey, everything you've ever done that just missed the mark, it's, I'm burning all that. Step into this reward. And then I get to experience eternity and Jesus looks at me and he gives me a reward based on, based on works. So I'm saved by grace, but I'm judged by works and you are too. And so here's my encouragement for you when it comes to this good news series. You need to change your mind about who Jesus is. Me as well. Like it has to mark our lives in such a profound way that we live the good news. That people begin to see that fruit that we talked about. That, that I've surrendered and trusted Christ with my life and all of a sudden my marriage looks different. My, my kids are impacted in a different way than they were before when I was just going through the motions and saying that I believed a certain thing and yet my life really did not reflect it. And have a relationship with Jesus. They pray, didn't spend time with him, didn't worship, didn't like, didn't pursue what he wanted for my life. I just pursued what I wanted for myself. And so every single one of us, all of us, everybody that you've ever met is gonna be judged by their works. And the question is whether or not, have I changed my mind about who Jesus is? Because if I have, there's good news. There's good news for my judgment and for your judgment. But if I haven't changed my mind, man, I'm begging you to change your mind. And, and, and there ought to be an urgency for all of us who will call ourselves followers of Christ. We see it in the early church. There should be an urgency that marks your life to share and spread the good news. Again, euangelion, evangelize. Share the good news with people. Why? Because eternity is at stake. And I want as many people as I can grab, as many people as I can convince, as many people as I can reach, as many people as I can impact and populate heaven. As many people, I want that moment where they're standing in front of Jesus and he burns every bit of sin and brokenness and baggage and sin in their life. And then he says, here's your reward. Again, not because of what you've done, but based on who I am. You're welcome. It's more, it's a bonus. It's even, it's even greater than what you thought. The good news is even better than what you thought it was. So think on that as we pray together. Think, hey man, have I changed my mind about who Jesus is? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us. God, thank you for this series. Thank you for the opportunity to just have an angle on your good news. Thank you for uh, God offering us grace and forgiveness, offering us new life, and offering us joy, salvation that we don't deserve. God, we're saved by grace, but we're judged by works. And so thank you that even in our salvation, God, you choose to forget. You choose to really eradicate 
our, our misalignment, our selfishness, brokenness. So God, I pray, I pray that you would, uh, I pray you'd give us encouragement today that you love us, that you're for us, that you have good news for everybody who's here. If you're here and you've never trusted your life to Jesus, you've never really changed your mind about who he is. You've been doing religious things. Listen, church is not gonna save you. It's not gonna save you. Your family being involved in church is not gonna save you. You're reading your Bible and praying and all those are great things and they ought, to, they ought to operate out of the overflow of a relationship with Jesus, but only Jesus is the foundation. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus gets you in the book of life. You have to change your mind about who he is. And so if you're here today and you, you're seeing Christ for who he is and you see him as savior, but you're also saying, man, for the first time ever, I know I need to submit. I know I need to surrender. I need to see him as Lord of my life. I need to fully trust and believe in the gospel that he is who he says he is. And there's eternal implications for that because I haven't surrendered. I've been playing games. I've been doing my own thing. And I like the idea of the cross and I like the idea of resurrection, but man, I have not surrendered my life to Jesus. And today I, I need repentance. I need to change my mind. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and do what only you can do and just ripen hearts and help, to ch help people lift the head of every single person in this room, help them to see and experience Jesus for who he is. So if you're here and you wanna trust your life to Christ, I wanna give you an opportunity to confess him as Lord. I wanna give you an opportunity to confess repentance today. So with all of our heads bowed, eyes closed, just right where you're at and you're saying, listen, I've changed my mind about who Jesus is. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus today. Would you just lift your hand in this room and just say, that's for me surrender my life to Jesus today. I've changed my mind. Thank you. Yeah, I'm seeing, th seeing three hands. Is there anybody else in this room? You're just like, that's for me. I needed it. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? I'm going to give you a minute. Just, yes, I see your hand. Is there anybody else? See you. Is there anybody else? Just take a minute and think, process, and just say, God, I want that. Change my heart, change my motivation, change my mind. Prayer doesn't save you. Raising your hand doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But it's that faith in Him, it's that belief that He is who He says He is that just puts your name in the book of life. Right where you're at, if you're trusting Christ with your life, just say, Jesus, thank you so much for loving me and for serving me. Thank you for coming and living and dying in my place. God, I believe the gospel. God, I believe the good news that you are who you say you are. I'm trusting you with my now. I'm trusting you with my eternity. I'm trusting you with my sins, past, present, and future. God, I wanna stand in front of you one day and I want you to look at me and I want you to say, well done. Well done. And so take every bit of, of, of my sin and my brokenness, God, my selfishness. Today, I wanna make it about you. Moving forward, I want you to not only be savior of my life, I want you to be Lord of my life. God, help me to live in such a way that I bear fruit and those works, God, in, the, in a future, as I step into my future hope and eternity, God, you judge me by the works that are there. And I pray I bring as many people into heaven with me. I pray I impact as many people as possible. God, help us to believe the gospel. Help us to believe the good news that you are who you say you are. God, help us to worship you for who you are. Lord, we're so grateful for life change. We're so grateful for salvation. And, and we look forward to the ways you're gonna make us look more like your son. Lord, we love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.